Matt, can you hear me? Yeah. All right. Perfect. We are all set up then. So it is, from what we talked about a minute ago, not so beautiful weather going on. What's that, what's going on down there? <laughs> so, yeah, it's been kind of the, the story of the, the Snowball Derby. The The main event got in last Sunday. So for all intents and purposes, uh, the Snowball Derby weekend is done. But the rain that kind of came in last weekend um, prevented the, the modified race from taking place on Friday night. Uh, the entirety of Saturday scheduled, which was headlined by uh, the pro late models, which are the, the sealed crate motor late models. And it's the biggest race of their year, too. There's a lot of crossover guys who run the, the super late model snowball derby. They run the, the pro late model snowflake 100 on Saturday night. That race never took place, so it got postponed at this weekend. It was supposed to be going on right now as we speak, but it's raining once again in Pensacola. Uh, but the good news is, is that the rain's going to clear out overnight tonight, and uh, I have 100% conviction the race is going to take place um, tomorrow afternoon during its new time. Now, I don't, I don't want to be a downer about it, but didn't they tell us the same thing at Indianapolis when we were in the media room there that they were absolutely getting the Xfinity race in? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a difference between what the the sanctioning body will tell you and then what I will tell you. So I feel really good that it's going to happen. Listen, the the sanctioning body, PR people, TV people, they've got to tell you races are going to take place, even if it's obvious it's not, because once you tell. Uh, the viewers watching at home on TV that the race doesn't look good, they're going to change the channel. So that's why it's very important that you rely on, uh, and I don't mean this to sound disrespectful or cocky, but you got to rely on actual reporters who are not affiliated with sanctioning bodies or with the TV partners because they're just that, they're a TV partner. So I'm telling you, I look at the forecast, I feel good about Sunday, and uh, can't wait to cover at least one more race before uh, Christmas time rolls in. Yeah, it should be exciting. I'm excited to hear all about the race, unfortunately. Unfortunately, it's finals week here, which means I don't get much time to do anything except study, except for the radio show and all that, so I'm excited. But I don't know. It must be a curse or something. I've gone to two races working as media, New Hampshire and Indianapolis, and those were the two races that come to mind first for being either rained out or very close to rained out. So I don't know what's going to end up happening, but it seems like that's that's actually – a pattern in Florida, especially is there's one rain shower in the <laughs> afternoon. It rains super hard for 20 minutes and then it's beautiful the rest of the day. So if you're, yeah, at the I, beach, I would, <laughs> at the I would beach, encourage you and everyone else. To, to, if you get a free moment, look up the hashtag blame Weaver on Twitter. I, I used to actually have this very negative connotation that every race I covered back in the day, it tended to get rained on. And that thing has followed me now for seven years. You, you still see people tweeting hashtag blame Weaver. They were tweeting it last weekend and uh, I'm pretty sure it's going to follow me till the day I die. <laughs> you know what? There's actually a Twitter account with the name blame Weaver. <laughs> there is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. Well, so what are you, uh, what are you expecting from this snowball one? Or, uh, Oh, shoot. Oh, no, the name is slipping me. Snowflake 100. The Snowflake, yeah. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to see who shows back up. Um, It's a a really good entry list every year, Um, and and you see a lot of cross-pollination between teams that have a super late model and pro late model and bring them both. Um, But Steven Nassie, a guy you talked to earlier, uh, he's not going to be able to make it back down. Chase Purdy will be, Carson Hosevar will be, Spencer Davis, who ran some NASCAR Truck Series races this year. He's going to be back full-time in K&N next year, I believe. 
uh, he's coming back down. So I think the entry list is going to be pretty good. I'm going to be interested to see if Bubba Pollard, who is kind of the face of super late model racing, if he's going to bring his pro late model back down. Because if he does, uh, I think the best storyline or the most intriguing storyline is that he first built that car for last year's Snowflake 100. And he's taken that car, that prolate model, across the, the, the continent to races all across both the United States and Canada. And this car, I believe, is now 12-0. and 0. That car is not lost in any prolate model race that Bubba Pollard has entered it in. It might be the best car that, that Bubba and his team has built. And uh, it's now one year old, and hopefully he's coming back tomorrow and is going to try to go 13-0. and 0. Wow. Yeah, I hope so. I haven't actually heard about that. That's... That's pretty incredible. Race car going twelve and zero. It's uh, reminds me of Dale Junior's uh, super, super speedway car. It was, what was it? Amy, I think it was. <laughs> but huh, that's that's going to be a really great storyline to follow. Do you think he's going to pull it off? Because I remember at the Snowflake, he was wasn't didn't he get was he the one sponsored by Bubba Wallace and had his face on the side of the car? Yeah, yeah. So Mamba, the Black Mamba, Dylan Smith, who is actually the uh, communications director for MDM Motorsports, the the NASCAR, K&N, ARCA, and now X Truck Series team. Uh, Mamba races about once a year. He's a a really talented wheelman, just doesn't have the funding to be able to race full time. Uh, This is his one race a year, and he said there's no way he's missing it because that race is really important to him and his career, plus a lot of really important people have backed it. Um, it's a Lewis Hamilton tribute paint scheme. So it looks like the silver arrow car and certainly Mondo will be here tomorrow. Well, it's going to be great to see. And you mentioned, you know, the issue, one of the issues is funding. And that seems to be a common thread of conversation with racing nowadays where you've got, you know, these, these young guys getting thrown to the top because they do have the funding. Their sponsors are very passionate because they know they'll, they'll be racing for 20, 30 years. And if they can build a long-term partnership, that's great for them. So you've got the young guys, Gregson, Byron, and you know things like that, guys like that. So what what are your thoughts on it? Where we have you know the guys that are prospering, Suarez as well, and then the guys that are catching you know the short end of the stick, like Brett Moffitt, where he's a you know he's a defending truck champion in in dominant style, really an underfunded team, almost didn't make it to the track multiple weeks, and they go out and they win the championship. And then they say, well, we gotta, we have to bring in a driver with more funding because otherwise our doors are going to close. And, you know, I, I, I understand, like, Hattori Racing, they, don't, they probably don't want to make that move. They probably hate that they had to do this, but it's either they change drivers or they don't race at all. So what are your thoughts on that, and do you see this continuing in the near future? So multiple directions I can go with this. Uh, the first thing I would say is that First and foremost, they love Brett Moffat at a Tory Racing Enterprises. If, if left up to their druthers, they would be together until Brett was able to return to the Cup Series and, and chase wins and championships there. Uh, Scott Zipidelli and, and Brett Moffat are good friends on and off the track. They've got, a, they've got great chemistry, and it showed that they took a, a pretty underfunded team to the championship. And one thing you left out is that NASCAR essentially changed the rules on them right in the middle of the playoffs and That's forced terrible. them to have to change motors. And so um, the fact that they were able to persevere and win the championship given the adversity they faced spoke volumes of their chemistry. Now, the next thing I would add is that 
this is not a, a new dynamic. Uh, motorsports has always been a matter of of, of funding. Uh, the old saying goes that the first race began when the second car was built, and the second car was built by the guy who built the first one and sold it to the second guy. So <laughs> you know this is this this is this is this is not new by any stretch of the imagination. Now, what is different? What is different is that I feel like the the cost to play at all levels is, is, is rising out of control. Engineering has become more and more prominent and prevalent, and um, it's creating a, a larger gap between <clears throat> those who have the money to play and those who have the talent to play. And so I, I think the industry as a whole is going to have to do some soul-searching to figure this out. And it's not an easy thing to, to figure out either because – to NASCAR's credit, they came out with the, the spec motor, which is a derivative of the spec motor that the ARCA Racing Series has used the past three years. Um, and it, it, it has made things easier. It's made things easier in ARCA to be able to participate. If you look at the short tracks this year and in the truck series, participation has skyrocketed because you don't need to go to the wind tunnel to go race at Martinsville and, and Bristol. And those races had nearly 40 entrants for a 32-truck race. And so I think those are some of the, the things that they have to look at, the, the spec engine program, uh, more short tracks. The challenge is, and this is where it gets complicated, right? The moment that you go with the spec engine program, if you try to do that in the Xfinity series or the Cup series, then you're alienating your manufacturers. And I'm telling you right now, if you don't have manufacturer support, if you, if you alienate Ford and Chevrolet and Toyota and you look at Dodge, who was here previously, you can't have a sport without them, not only from the, the vehicles you see on the track, but also the activation. Not only are they creating vehicles that you race, they're also marketing the sport. They're marketing their drivers and their partners and their equipment. So it's a delicate balance for all motorsports to have to be able to have to juggle. And it, it sucks to see Furniture Row Racing shut down. It sucks to see Brett Moffat essentially get bought out it sucks to see mdm motorsports have to scale back and leave the truck series so we all know the problems and i i think for the first time in a long time nascar especially is finally admitting that there is a problem because for a while quite frankly they had their head in the sand and they said no problem here and there is a problem and and they finally are admitting it and that's how you figure it out so i, I feel good about the future we're just going to have to collectively, all of us in motorsports, make some tough decisions and have to talk about some tough decisions. Yeah, absolutely. And that seems to be, you know, the way it goes. And people people want change, but at the same time, they fear it, you know, with the change in body styles to the car tomorrow to what we have now and everything else. <clears throat> it's people are asking for these changes, but then when they come, it's very it's very difficult because they think it's as easy as. You write a rule down in the rule book, and that's it, and there's no other repercussions. But like you mentioned with the manufacturers and everything else, realistically speaking, those cars, that differentiates between them, you've got a different front clip, and you've got a different manufacturer logo on the back, and the engine inside. That's what they've got. So if I imagine Chevrolet doesn't want their cars represented only by you know the front end and the logo on the rear bumper. They they want, you know, when a Chevy engine wins, they want everyone to know that's a Chevy engine. And when a Toyota engine wins, Toyota wants everyone to know that's a Toyota engine in the car. So I think you're right. There will be a lot of backlash there, you know. it's Those chassis are so precision machined and, you know, really regulated among all the teams. The spoil, you know, the spoilers, the 
the deck lid with and everything else, you know, that's not manufacturer specific. That seems more NASCAR specific where they all have to meet these guidelines. So that would be an interesting conversation to hear about. And you mentioned the ARCA series and that that got me thinking about another rumor that I've, I've heard circulating around. I, I, I don't want to say where from, but the source seemed very confident that within the next three years, ARCA and K&N would merge together, form one series, one, you know, composite body series so that you don't have these, you know, lower leagues competing with each other because, you know, pretty much racing at the same level, you've got the Cup, Xfinity, then the Trucks, and then below that you've got Wheeland Mods and ARCA and K&N East and West. So that's a bunch of competing leagues. So what what about that then? What would you think about combining ARCA, K&N to one body style, you know, maybe finding a balance in the schedules? Do you think that would work to bring in more people and, you know, less division among these these divisions that are televised, just not as followed often? Well, the first thing I would tell you is that this synergy between ARCA and K&N, it's not a rumor. It's happening next year, uh, 2020, not next year, 2020, not 2019, so 2020. I'm already in 2019 mode that to me next year is 2020. <laughs> but no, this this kind of merger is happening in a way in 2020. Um you're essentially going to have the K&N West and East running their current engine and, and body style. ARCA is still going to exist. They're going to call it the ARCA Elite Series, and they're still going to run their their engine regulations. The bodies are the same. So right now, K&N and ARCA share a, a, a shared um, five-star bodies body. Um, and moving forward, how are you going to do this with the engines? I don't know. But in 2020, there's, there's going to be select races called the Stock Car Invitational where ARCA teams and K&N teams are going to race together to crown a 10-race combined champion. So you're, you're going to have your K&N champions, East and West, your ARCA champion. But on 10 short tracks, they're going to bring the best ARCA teams, the best K&N teams, and they're going to crown the combined stock car invitational champion. Now, that's going to have both of those teams racing with their select engine, either the, the Roush Yates K&N motor or the... Um, Arca Ilmore motor, but what it looks like 2023, 2024, I'm not sure. Uh, my opinion, my opinion is they should get rid of what's now known as K&N. I think the K&N model is just, it's not good. You've got 13, 14, 15 cars. Uh, they're, they're all teenagers racing. There's no veterans. That series, in my opinion, lacks a, an identity. And I, I would just prefer NASCAR to be good steward to the industry and say if you want to get track time we'll do it in late models and nascar try to find ways to work with the different late model sanctioning bodies to get some of those cars on the tracks that they want to compete on whether it's the the dovers the new hampshire's bristol's martinsville what have you uh but that's still very far out um brandon at nascar has a lot to kind of work with there and he's doing a good job but yeah these are more questions that we're talking about there's there's a real crossroads that, that nascar has to um cross here pretty soon whether it's the cup series schedule whether it's their entire ladder system uh engine regulations manufacturer support so yeah these are interesting times in major league stock car racing right and you know you mentioned the the knn series and i i know someone uh, a guy named scott allen who owns a K&N car, he owns his own car and everything, and I believe the story was, off the top of my head, the engine blew in it. 
and it was cheaper to just have that car sitting in his garage because a million dollars a year to run the K&N schedule where they've got 17 cars across the country and usually no more than 8 to 12 entering a race just didn't make sense. So sitting in his garage yeah. is a wheel and modified and a K&N Pro East car. The wheel and mod is a show car. It runs and everything. It could race and it's run a couple races, but it's cheaper for him to have someone pay him X amount to get it out the door, pay X amount per mile he has to transport it, and then pay for it to sit there and for people to look at. It's And his K&N car, it just sits there. And you see guys that are constantly, you know, I, I think the K&N series is good for getting names known, but combine it with the ARCA series where they've got, you know, they race Daytona televised on FS1 and Gateway Motorsports Park that, you know, K&N races, but it's not televised because it's you know a slight difference in attention on the series so it's it's strange like you said it's an interesting time in the sport but you see guys like anthony alfredo who finished fifth in the k&n series east point standings who now he's moving to the trucks part-time and probably going to run some k&n races i believe is the latest word uh a private sort of like thing is he's going to be on the show come january so people get excited for that but yeah, you know, these guys, they seem to spend a year in K&N and then they're moved up. So I, I, I agree with you that it's it seems like a feeder series that's just too much to run and it's it's slowly dying out. Do you think this combination uh, with the stock car invitational with ARCA is going to, to solve that problem to get more people to run? Or do you think people are just going to run those 10 races and try and claim that championship and then that's it? That remains to be seen. I, I, it's really hard to forecast. And the reason it's hard to forecast is, is we don't entirely know what NASCAR's exact model is. Um, we're waiting for about May or June. NASCAR plans to finalize that and, and disseminate it to the masses. And so I, I think once we have a better understanding of what the vision is, then we can kind of forecast what it looks like moving forward. But for all the reasons you just brought up, something needs to be done and something is being done. So that that's comforting if nothing else. Absolutely. And I, I guess this, this ties into the conversation, you know, with so many changes going on, it seems like at the top level at the cup, you wrote an article. And I remember at Indianapolis, we got into a uh, pretty heated conversation. Well, not heated, like upset, but you know, a very, very interesting conversation with some of the NASCAR executives. And I was just sort of sitting there on it. You know, they weren't too happy with the, the article you had written saying, well, you know, the, the package isn't released yet and it's not going to be as bad as you think. And it's, it's fear mongering and everything else. But now that the package has been released, it seems that you were exactly right. So what are you, what are you projecting to see in the next year for this new aero package where we were supposed to get the pack racing and everything else after the driver tests at i believe it was atlanta and they sort of came off and said well this goodyear tire goes away after three laps and we're racing in a pack we're, we're drafting at atlanta motor speedway yeah you know we we had the test at charlotte and we had the test at atlanta um a slightly different package that'll be used at phoenix was also tested there. Um, it's so hard to say what it's going to look like because it's one thing to test it with five cars. It's another to to validate it with 40. So it, it's tough. But all, all, all we can talk about and all that I can write about is the data that we have in front of us. And 
it, it's, it appears it's going to be some form of pack racing. Now, I, I don't know if it, Atlanta is the best place to, uh, to, to really set as your standard because that place is so rough and the surface is so de- degraded and old. Okay. There's going to be fall off there. But I think for Charlotte, Charlotte, it's going to be wide open racing. It's going to be very similar to what we saw at the all-star race um, for places like Kentucky and Kansas, which still has a fairly fresh surface. Uh, and, and certainly the, the two mile track in Michigan, um, I, I expect pack racing. I, I think Michigan very much could look like Daytona and Talladega, um, but it's just so hard to tell from race to race. And my frustration was, and the point that I was trying to illustrate is, is this indicative of what the, the highest caliber race car driver should have to use to prove themselves under to where you're just flat footing it around the racetrack? I, I think myself and a lot of people within the industry have a lot of reservations about what that means for the sport. If we're a sport or are we a form of entertainment and what's being blurred in the middle and trying to find this right competition package. Now, Several people at NASCAR have told me before, if it doesn't work, we can always do something else. And uh, certainly the schedule is going to undergo a lot of changes here in in the next couple of uh, years. I think we're going to see more short tracks. I think we're going to see more road courses. And I think that's going to lessen the impact of whatever this rules package is going to be for those larger tracks, because hopefully there's just less of them. Right. And it's it's. You know, I remember that's an interesting point you brought up that I haven't really thought about. I guess is this a sport or is this a form of entertainment? And that's an interesting question because right when you said that, it made me think of that that conversation in Indianapolis where the executive who will go unnamed said, "Well, I could give a damn if Brad Keselowski is on me every weekend saying how much he hates this new package, but the fans love it, and those fans are what we have to bring in." <clears throat> well, what you know. And I've been thinking of it as, well, what incentive will the drivers have to put on a show if they hate the cars they're driving? And that's one piece of it. But at the end of the day, those guys do all want to win. But, you know, if the drivers are unhappy and their focus is we got to bring the fans in, we have to bring the fans in because realistically the fans are leaving. I think it was 700,000 less per race on average this year. You know what? What do they do? And and like you said, these are the top level drivers in the world for stock cars. And if they are just on the gas the entire time, their skill goes from getting the most out of the car to watching their mirror while going in a straight line or in, in the turn. And I don't really think they want to do that. What comes to mind is I talked to Corey LaJoy at New Hampshire and, you know, he's still looking for a ride for next year. So I'm not going to say all of his comments. Uh, he asked me not to. I don't know if he's listening. But he's asking not to say all of his comments. But one point that he made <laughs> was he wants he doesn't want an easy car to drive. He wants to be challenged, and he thinks his, the people driving around him should be challenged. And I frankly I agree with them. If you're if you've worked your entire life to get to this top level of racing, do you want to just sit with your foot all the way down until you hit pit road fifty laps later, where you get more fuel and some tires, and then you're back to full throttle? Probably not. You want every weekend to get off the track soaked in sweat and say that was the hardest I could have driven that car and I'll be damned if I didn't earn that finish and it's it's going to be interesting to see will this be what you know if they are flat footing it around the track 
is that going to push some guys to an earlier retirement? Is, you know, let's say Kevin Harvick continues this streak of dominance and he goes out and he wins a championship after next season, does that make him say, well, I've done it. I've, I can drive a car at full speed, at its full speed, and I'm the champion. I'm retiring now, at, and I'm going to go spend time with my family. You know, Clint Boyer and all these other guys, you got to wonder if they no longer feel challenged. Are they going to say, well, I've had my run, and it's been great. My career is, is at its peak. I'll leave you with this. Uh, first and foremost, a lot of drivers currently already feel disenfranchised with, with stock car racing and you're, you're seeing this big movement towards world of outlaws and sprint car racing right now. And, and Kyle Larson was heavily criticized for comments that he had made. What's that? Oh, sorry. I didn't realize I was still on air. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, Larson had gotten some heat for um, talking about how he has this desire to go run sprint cars before he turns 40. Um, certainly, uh, Christopher Bell has been very opposed to this package because he doesn't feel like this is maximizing his talent. So I do think NASCAR has to worry about trying to make sure that they maintain their integrity as a real sport. And this is the point that I'll leave you on. Um, in the, the, the 1930s and 40s, um, professional wrestling, actual professional wrestling, was not the most exciting thing to watch. It, it typically involved two guys grappling for multiple hours at a time until eventually one of them would wear out the other and be able to pin their shoulders down one, two, three, and people would watch it and they would buy tickets and they would watch these four hour actual professional wrestling contest. And all the, the various promoters came around a table and uh, cigarettes filled room and they formed what is now known as the national wrestling Alliance. And eventually professional wrestling shifted from an actual sport something that was scripted and choreographed and was done in a way to maximize the entertainment value of a fan's tickets. Now, certainly we have mixed martial arts to present us the actual sporting version of what professional wrestling gives us. But I think NASCAR needs to be very, very careful that they don't try to evolve to the point where they need to entertain the masses so much than provide them an actual legitimate sporting experience. And how far do you go over towards entertainment that you no longer cease to be a sport, but you become a show? And that's what I think is the heart of this debate and this conversation. Yeah, and that's that would be a very sad day for all you know the, the race fans and for the media like you and I, where we go from covering racing, where we go from covering, you know, the struggles of each and every team. You've got the underfunded guys that really you get three races every week. You have the, the low budget teams that are fighting for, you know, best finish among the guys that just can't afford these, you know, million dollar motors every week. And then you have the guys that are, you know, sort of running maybe 12th to 20th, 25th, trying to get those last four playoff spots and then you have the top level guys fighting to win the race and it's you know it's it's interesting seeing all the different happenings going on on track and if you lose that when you do make it a scripted show i i almost worry that not only would it put us you know out of out of a position to report on anything but i think that would also push fans to go to home track races instead 
not that fans going to local tracks is a bad thing. I mean, I grew up going to Stafford Motor Speedway in Connecticut, and, you know, last summer I worked on a modified, and this summer I'm going to be working on a street stock and hopefully driving it, seeing how seeing how that works out. But, you know, losing the fans instead of inspiring them to go to these local tracks would be a true, true disaster. So I hope it doesn't come to that. But I also don't want to take up, you know, this debate could go on for years even, and it, and it has been going on for years. So I don't want to take up uh, too much more of your time. You probably want to get some rest and everything before the, the Snowflake 100 tomorrow. So I'm going to wrap this up with the one question I ask everyone that I interview, which was what was the first car you ever drove, like your first personal car? Oh, man, that's tough. Uh, <laughs> a Nissan, a little Nissan pickup. Actually, not the most luxurious thing in the world. Um, I, I'm probably one of the most blue-collar guys you'll probably interview in racing, so it's not like I had access to some of the more, you know, uh, the, the finer vehicles in life. But no, I, I, I drove my grandmother's little Nissan pickup, and that thing served me for a good four or five years. You know, you you mentioned the, the blue-collar aspect of it. In every person I've talked to, Natalie Decker, Stephen Nassie a couple minutes ago, Corey LaJoy, none of them have said, like, oh, it was a Lexus, you know, G500 series or whatever, you know. Every single time it's been, oh, man, it was this old beater or, you know. Um, <laughs> my two favorite stories were Natalie Decker and, and Corey LaJoy. Natalie Decker drove this old beat-up car through the woods when she was, like, 11 or 12, her feet not even long enough to reach the pedals, and, you know, they would be bouncing around through the woods, the muffler would fall off, and everything else and and Corey LaJoy had a nine I think it was a 1972 Pontiac something or other and hooked up in the back seat was a Nintendo 64 and in the most Corey LaJoy thing I've ever heard of in my life he would pick up girls by asking if they wanted to play Mario Kart in the back of his car and they would <laughs> say yes and he would whip out two Nintendo 64 controllers and beat them in Mario Kart <laughs> so but Matt it's been so great talking to you I'm sure we'll have plenty of conversations in the future i'm hoping to get to at least three or four races next year so hopefully i'll find you in the media center and be putting 